The Apostle Paul is chained to Roman soldiers. He's under house arrest. He is um, looking at this situation as something that probably he, he didn't plan on. But you know, all of a sudden, Paul understood that God had a plan. And now think of it, at least from the Romans' perspective, he certainly could have been tossed into prison and left there. I mean, guards toss in the meals, I guess, and and they come and check on them every once in a while, but they wouldn't have to be chained to the prisoner. They wouldn't have to take turns. This seems like a whole bunch of hassle for a prisoner just waiting to be able to stand before Caesar. (laughs) But this is where Paul rejoices. This is where Paul could see above and beyond that, that God, God himself had a plan to evangelize the soldiers, the Roman Praetorian guard. And so Paul rejoices. In fact, all the way through this letter, we're going to see that Paul helps us understand the source of joy. The source of joy, well, it's not our circumstances. The source of joy is not the things that normally we think would give us joy. We ended last week in our study of Philippians where Paul was saying this, above all, live as citizens of heaven. And basically he's saying, behave like folks who have been changed by the good news about Jesus. You, you heard the good news. You saw how much God loves you. You're excited about Well, what he has done for you as a result of your faith, he has saved you from the penalty of sin. He has saved you from the power of sin. You no longer have to serve that ugly master. And you have been saved from the presence of sin. Someday you are going to spend eternity in glory. So he says, behave like folks who've been changed, who have this good news, who have been transformed. Life is short. So invest your time and your treasure and your talents with eternity in mind. Eternity is a long time. So don't live like this is your permanent home. Our text today will inspire and convict. It's done that for me. That's what the scriptures do. And as we open up the Bible, the Spirit is going to prompt you and encourage you and strengthen you. You know, there's a great danger in a text like this to focus on others. In other words, Whoa, I wish Uncle Jim was here today. He could sure use this message. And maybe Uncle Jim should hear this message. I'm not even doubting that. But I know sometimes we forget 
that God gives us this word to be able to talk to us. So that's my prayer. In fact, let's pray. Let's pray right now. Father, we know that your word is powerful. We know that your spirit is active. We know, God, that we have had the privilege to gather here together, to lift up your name, to adore you and to praise you. Father, we ask at this time that that you would teach us. We come to you, though, in a time in our world that just seems to be in upheaval. We, we look around at the global situation and we're appalled and we're discouraged. And it seems like chaos to us. God, we know you're working. We know you have a plan and we would ask God that you would give us faith. Help us make a difference where we can make a difference. I pray, Father, for our country. This is a time of normal celebration. We are so grateful for the opportunity of living in the land of the brave and the free. Many of us enjoy family and and others will just enjoy the opportunity and the freedoms that we have, which cost other people so much. But Lord, the politics seem to become more relentless. We, We ask you for wisdom and what leaders to elect And we ask even this day, God, that you would give us perspective that maybe we don't have. We pray for our leaders who are in leadership right now. And we ask you, God, that you would draw them to yourself and to your word. We also know, Lord, that our highest court has made a decision that seems to be so divisive to our land. So many protests, so many hurting and discouraged people. We pray, dear God, that you would give us as the church, your church, your body, the wisdom to be able to love others, to be able to make a difference in their life. Lord, you showed us how to do it. Somehow you were the friend of tax collectors and publicans and sinners. But you love people and you faithfully proclaimed the word. Teach us how to do that, Father. Teach us how to be faithful to you and reflect you well in our world today. We pray for the church. We pray for all of the church. We know, God, that, that it is our privilege and responsibility to be your body, to be your hands and to be your feet. We pray that you would strengthen our churches, that you would encourage those to be able to represent you well wherever we go. We pray for our church, Father. We pray for... Um, the ministries that are going on. 
We pray, Father, for our leaders. We pray, dear Lord, that as we even prepare for the fall and for this coming year, that you would give us wisdom and understanding that we would represent you well and care for the flock well. God, open our eyes today. In some ways, the scripture is amazing and powerful and wonderful, but maybe because I've spent time on it this week, maybe it feels more important. So God, just use these verses in our lives today. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. You know, there are plenty of exhortations in our text today. But what's so amazing to me is that Paul doesn't start there. Paul starts somewhere else. So if you have your Bibles or you want to open up your, your uh, screens to Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. All right, I'm going to read the first four verses. Philippians 2, chapter 1, uh, excuse, 2, verses 1 through 4. You can follow along on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another or each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You know, today's text is perhaps the most concise and practical teaching about church unity in the New Testament. Some of your translations will start off with the statement, if, if this is so. But the better way to look, at least in, in our situation, is that these if statements really refer to certainties, not possibilities. It's probably better to translate these clauses since or because. And I would encourage you actually to write that in your Bible. It will help you remind or it will remind you as you continually read through this that, that this is something that the Apostle Paul is actually affirming. So it would sound something like this. Because you have been encouraged by being part of God's family. Now, now there's a comma there, but, but it's true. Being part of God's family is amazing. It's encouraging. Being one of God's kids give you security, support, privilege, and worth. All given because of God's grace. And then Paul says, because being loved by God has comforted you. Again, this is true. God's unfailing, redeeming love comforts you, encourages you, pumps your tires. 
And then he says, because being in fellowship with other spirit-filled people has enriched you. Again, so true. The koinonia fellowship of brothers and sisters is rich. And then because you have tender and compassionate hearts. Well, Paul starts off making sure you and I, and especially the Philippian believers, understand how wonderful life is by following Jesus. There are great benefits. This is all so good. So in light of all of this, Paul says this, and and it probably sticks out to you. Do me a favor. Make me smile. Please me. Make me truly happy by agreeing, loving, and serving together. Technically, in in these first four verses, there's only one imperative. And the imperative is make me truly happy. Paul is saying their unity would truly delight his heart. Now, in light of the passage, this may sound strange, but not if you think about it. You see, a pastor's heart is encouraged when there is unity and health in the church. Just as a parent delights when they have a tight-knit family. John MacArthur, one of the commentators that I go to, he he said this. At the beginning of verse 2, Paul adds a personal desire. Make my joy complete or, or make me truly happy. To so reward a faithful servant of the Lord is a legitimate goal for believers to have. The New Testament makes it clear that churches are to love, honor, respect, and appreciate their human leaders. To love, honor, and appreciate pastors and other church leaders is perfectly consonant with loving, honoring, and being grateful to the Lord. Because both are divinely commanded. The former is one way of expressing the latter. So what does unity in the church look like to Paul? Well, well, he describes it. Unity is agreeing wholeheartedly with others. Uh, Agreeing enthusiastically. Now, Paul is talking about agreeing on the mission. And our mission is clear. Love God and love others while making disciples who make disciples. Agree wholeheartedly. Secondly, he says unity looks like loving one another. And we're going to find out actually sacrificially. Loving each other. Like Jesus loved, intentional and sacrificial. We saw this theme over and over and over in our last study in First John. 
And then Paul says this, unity is serving together with one mind and purpose, serving as a team. You see, people will always have different opinions on the how of ministry. But that is why God has gifted the church with leaders. This doesn't mean that all believers are expected to agree on every detail of every ministry plan. It means serving selflessly together and moving forward together under the direction of godly leaders. Only believers who walk with God can maintain selfless love toward each other while proclaiming Christ and helping others grow in their relationship with Jesus. Now, Paul, again, I'm not, I'm not sure if he thought those folks were a little slow, but, but he went a little bit more specific. And, and that's good for me. He says specifically, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others is better than yourselves. And be less focused on you and interested in others. Specifically, as the church comes together, he's encouraging each one of us. Don't be selfish. Don't focus on your own needs. Don't make you the priority. Don't try to impress others. Because the focus isn't you. The focus is Jesus. Actually, be humble. And and we're going to keep hammering this one because the passage over and over and over and over again talks not only about humility, but the humility of Jesus. And it's going to actually surprise you, I think. Realistically, be less focused on you and just interested in others. Do you ever walk away from a conversation and, and, and just realize that it was a lot about them? And somehow there's this just interaction between, well, let me tell you my story or let me tell. And, and I think again, as we walk with God, our focus becomes a little less on us and on others. I think what Paul really is saying is pursue attitudes and actions to overcome division. Not ones which divide people into camps. Sometimes it's not what you say or do that divides people. But it's what you don't say or don't do. Silence is deafening at times. William Barclay, another um, admired uh, commentator, he, he says this. The one danger which threatens the Philippian church was that of disunity. There is a sense in which there is a danger that this is a danger of every healthy church. It is when people are really in earnest, when their beliefs really matter to them, that they are apt to get up against each other. The greater their enthusiasm, the greater the danger that they may collide. 
It is against that danger that Paul wished to safeguard his friends. Now we're going to go into the next section because Paul's heart was this. Hey, uh, it, it, it is really important that a church is unified. And he gives these, these um, principles. And we can take them and, and we start to just even put them in perspective and ask God, hey, where is it that you want me to change? How are you doing this, God? But I want you to brace yourself for what comes next. Paul's God-inspired words ought to stun you. Just literally, it, it did me. If I could paraphrase, Paul is saying this in the next section. Let me tell you how this works, Philippians. Think of yourselves the way Jesus thought of himself. Keep that in mind as we read Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5. Philippians 2, verse 5. Paul says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his personal privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now I have a choice here. We can go theological or not. I am choosing not. Let me explain. I think Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 11 is one of the most studied scriptures in seminary and among the academics. There's a good reason for this. In fact, if I look back at my seminary education, no matter if it was a study of a language or a study of theology or whatever, oftentimes the profs would come back to Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11. The text is filled with Christology. The study of who Jesus is. And I do believe it's a study worthy of a deep dive. But what I want you to understand this morning is that Jesus is 100% God. And at the same time, 100% man. That alone boggles our minds. It is an antinomy where both statements are absolutely correct. But they sure seem to contradict. So while Philippians 2, 5 to 11 is filled with theological hot points that are important to consider closely. We must also remember that Paul's purpose 
isn't to talk theology or stimulate debate right here. It is written, these verses are written for us to lift up and emulate Jesus. That's why these words ought to shock you. Like, this is our example, Paul? <laughs> could, could we use somebody else? Like, like, we are to have the same attitude that we are supposed to be like Jesus? Come on, Jesus was God. And I want to say yes. Please hear me. But I also want you to know that Jesus was the God-man. And Jesus walked with his father. Just like you and I walk with our father. And we can reflect our father well as a result of this. You see, there is... Unity in the church when we adore and emulate Jesus. The more we behold this glory and allow this spirit to change us from the inside out, we begin to look and act like Jesus. And the more unified we will be as a church. Paul is not merely describing the incarnation to reveal grand theological truths. He is presenting Christ's supreme, unparalleled example of humility as our template for humility. Whoa, just stop. Paul is expecting us to be humble like Jesus? Come on. Are you serious? You see, the incarnation calls believers to follow Jesus' incomparable example. Of humble self-denial, self-giving, self-sacrifice, and selfless love. As Christ obediently submitted to his Father's will. Say, say Rick, this is so unfair. Hey, I, I can be a little bit more humble. I can be a little bit more kind. Or I can... Are you, you... You can't really... Paul can't really be writing this to the Philippian church, can he? Paul says, Jesus, the God-man, is our example. So let's look at Jesus. Now, now I got to tell you, is that I think initially you hear this, you read this text, and I bet you're more discouraged than encouraged. All right? I, I, I think that's probably true. If so, listen carefully here. Because Paul isn't writing this to a church to beat them up. He isn't. Paul actually is writing this to a church to remind them of some truths and to encourage them that this literally can happen. And when it happens, not only are you transformed, but the church is transformed. Our world is transformed. This is exciting. It, it just is. 
Jesus is God. But chose, according to this text, to set aside the privileges of God in order to be fully born as a man and take a humble position or status of a slave. When Philippians 2.7 says that Jesus gave up his divine privileges, or in some of your versions, emptied himself. It doesn't mean that he gave up his deity or his divine attributes. It means he veiled them. Just try to understand this. It it blows you away. Jesus was humble. The creator of all. God who never has a beginning or an end. He humbled himself, focusing on others' needs and what would be best for them. Jesus chose to do this. Jesus showed his humility by becoming a man. Listen to all, try to figure out all the restrictions of being a man. Jesus showed his humility by obeying his father, which ultimately led to dying a criminal's death on the cross. He did not deserve that. He chose to do that. Consider the steps that Jesus took to share our humanity and die for our sins. He emptied himself, veiling his glorious divine power. He did that so that we might have a relationship, so that we might be able to enjoy God for all of eternity. He took the form of a bondservant, becoming fully human. He humbled himself in obedience unto Death, submitting to God's plan. He accepted the most humiliating death so that he could make an atonement for us. Are you starting to say, wow, after every one of those statements? Jesus, the Lord of Lords, chose to humble himself. And Paul says, I want you to know, I want you Philippian Christians to think of yourself like Jesus thought of himself. Oh, whoa. This can only happen. As we walk with God, as Jesus walked with his father. Yes, we can blow this off and just say, okay, that's just 
the deity doing it. He couldn't have sinned. He never struggled. He never had an issue. But Jesus was a man. And he humbled himself to benefit each one of us. Therefore, the scripture says, as a result of Christ's humility, God elevated Jesus, lifted up Jesus to the highest place in greatest honor. God gave him the name above all names, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the present text, Lord refers to Christ's deity and sovereignty, his exalted authority in the highest sense. It represents the divine title and name, as well as all the divine rights and honors and prerogatives. Ultimately, whether by choice or by force, every creature human and angelic, will bow before Jesus as divine and exalted Lord, which will bring God great glory. You see, humility is at the heart of every healthy church. Paul is writing chained trying to help this church understand the privileges of walking with God and being joyful in spite of circumstances. Paul humbled himself and listened to his Lord. And he was encouraging those Philippian believers to do the same without chains. You see, God is changing us and God is growing us in humility, helping us to think less about us and more about others, thinking about how we might glorify or magnify or mirror or point people to God because it's about God, it's not about us. So uh, how do we grow? Uh, how does that happen? Well, first of all, we grow in humility by reflecting on the cross of Christ. The absolute greatest example of humility. He chose to do this to benefit us. We grow in humility by reflecting on God's word. Even this morning, we saw an example of Christ, his humility. And be able to learn from that and say, God, this is what you're doing in my life. This is what you're chipping away. Because you know what, God, I'm not there yet. I need to love others differently. I need to serve others differently. I need, well, not to think so much about me. I need not to talk about me so much. I think God's word helps us understand the source and the process. Realizing again, 
We need to walk with our Lord. That is the only way. We can't try really hard to be humble. But God can change us. We grow in our humility by praying. Prayer is ultimately depending on God. And we grow in our humility by serving others. By caring for people that may not even care for you. By serving folks that might betray you. Because Jesus gave that example. You see, believers have been graced by God. So walk with God. Grow in humility. So that our actions and words would reflect Jesus Christ. And just think with me. If your pastor did this consistently. If we did this consistently. Do you know how different our world and our church would be? Would you bow your heads with me? Would, would you shut your eyes? Because I'm, I'm going to again ask those folks who perhaps have been convicted this morning or encouraged the Holy Spirit is one that that has been talking to you the the Holy Spirit is one that said you know you need to grow in this area maybe there's some conviction but if God is working in you right now if God is talking to you if you've been encouraged inspired or convicted by his word this morning I I would ask this would you stand up No, no one's looking but I would like to pray specifically for you if if God is working if God is moving in you I would ask you to stand Father, I would ask this morning that you would do a work in me and in our church. You see, Lord, I'm standing because I'm preaching, but I'm also standing because you've broken my heart. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that you don't consume me or us. As we continue at times in our selfish ways, where we think our stuff is more important than your stuff. God, to be honest, it's 
<laughs> it seems like the bar is too high. <laughs> uh, how we can be humble like you. Oh God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that you have pointed us to places that might be uncomfortable. May our faith increase, dear God, for for these folks who are standing. I pray, dear God, that you would cement in them, encourage them, surround them. May they leave different people because of their response to you, Father. We are grateful for your word and grateful that we can lift you up in praise and adoration because you are worthy, God. You are. Would you please be seated? And so, God, we close our time today looking to you Grateful for all you've done and ready to continue our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.